The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hey guys, and welcome to another spooky episode of Inquiries of Our Reality, number 91 to be exact. I'm your host, Shane, as always, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. If you haven't already, and you don't mind doing it, of course, uh, please give me a review or a rating. Um, it definitely helps to boost up the show, makes it so more people see it, um, get it into more people's ear holes. Uh, another option, of course, is always to share with a friend. If you know anybody that's into this kind of weird stuff or would enjoy this type of conversation, you know, just drop the name of the show and uh, pass it along to them. Always appreciated. And uh, come and follow me on social media if you're interested in getting any kind of updates on the show, um, getting updates on when future episodes are coming out, uh, getting some information on all the other side things that I do. Uh, I also have the Telegram set up for the show. So if you want to pop in there, have a conversation, talk with uh, all my awesome listeners that are already interacting in there, uh, you can pop in because we definitely want to hear from you. And uh, just more conversation is always a plus. Um, if you're interested in more of the, uh, the spooky or the extraterrestrial or cryptid type things, which of course I do cover on the show, but this is more of like an open-minded talk show, so I kind of bounce everywhere. But if you want that specifically, uh, you can always go and check out Bizarre Encounters, which I do with Ghosts from My Third Eye. I know I've been talking about this for a while, but you know, you, you got to get all your other work out. And uh, if you want to check out any of the other stuff I do, I, I, I put it all under the umbrella of Open Minds Media. Um, so there you'll find Bite Size Bizarreties, uh, Big Dumb Inquiries, Bizarre Encounters, this show, of course, and there may even be more shows in the future. So just keep an eye on Open Minds Media. Um, I have that set up, of course, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, all of that. So you can go to that to get more updates on all of the shows. And uh, if you're interested in the whole Open Minds Media concept, it's what I usually do for the Patreon. So rather than just getting one show for the Patreon, uh, currently you get four. Um, there are multiple tiers, of course, and with that you'd get Bite Size Bizarreties, um, early access to all the shows, live access to all the shows. If you want to come and uh, pop into the show and check it out live, uh, definitely go and check out the Patreon. I got a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on over there and different tiers to choose from. So uh, if you want to donate to the show in a different way, um, I do have Kofi set up and Anchor, which is the RSS host. Um, you can go all the way down to the bottom and you'll see something that says uh, support the show on Anchor. You can click there and support the show, of course. And uh, if you want to, you can also donate on Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, have all those set up. Uh, if you want to buy me some kombucha to drink on the show, always, always, always appreciate it. And uh, if you want to get yourself some awesome merch for all of the shows that I do, uh, I do have the Open Minds Media merch store. Um, again, like most things, put it all into one place, make it a little bit easier for me, and make it a little bit easier for you guys so that you guys don't have to go to multiple stores to check out all of my stuff. Uh, there, you'll find logo design shirts for all four of my shows, including the Open Minds Media logo, if anybody's interested in that. And uh, if anybody's interested in checking out some more awesome merch, of course, I do have some collabs with uh, Crypto Theology. Um, right now we have Bizarre Combat, which is for the other show, Bizarre Encounters. But uh, just in general, if you're into the whole cryptid concept, um, alien concept, Joe is doing awesome, awesome work over there, Crypto Theology. Uh, he's got a plethora 
of awesome designs that you guys can come and check out. Um, some of them are parodies of things. Uh, some of them are all original in the aspect of series being related to different cities and all of that. Uh, if you haven't already checked out Cryptotheology, I'm always posting it on, on the social media, so I'm sure you guys have seen it if you're following me on there. But uh, yeah, definitely go and check that out. Um, everything that I've mentioned, of course, is all available under the link trees. Um, if you want to check out the link tree for this show specifically, it's uh, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. And if you're trying to check out the umbrella of everything under Open Minds Media, uh, you can come and check out L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Open underscore Minds underscore Media. And with that, welcome to the show, Mike, the paranormal investigator from pa- the Paranormal Road Trippers. How's it going today, man? Doing fantastic. How are you doing? Looking forward to this. Not too bad, man. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, our meetup, of course, I have to share with the listeners because I thought it was really, really funny. So I meant to tag somebody that I had met at CryptidCon who also uses the name Paranormal Road Tripper, and uh, I bought a Bigfoot cast from him. And I you know, was doing that thing where you post online, you tag everybody in it, and I ended up tagging you, and you were like, hey, awesome, uh, awesome Bigfoot print, but it wasn't for me. And then we ended up having a conversation, and, you know, here we are now. So <laughs> kind of a funny story, but you never know how you might find guests. So, <laughs> True that. Yeah, we're the paranormal road trippers with an S on the end. So we're good. <laughs> yeah, I think he uses that just for the sake of his, like, museum. Um, yeah. But other than that, I don't think he uses it as, like, a normal handle. But, again, if you didn't use that handle, then I wouldn't have found you on accident, and then we wouldn't be here now. So everything happens and for a reason. Man. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess for uh, a good place to start off at is uh, for anybody that doesn't know who you are, uh, why don't you give them kind of a brief description about who you are and what you do? My name is Mike. As we talked about, part of the Paranormal Road Trippers. I've been investigating the paranormal since I'm going to age myself here, since about 1997, 1998. So I've been been doing this for a while um, up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And we cover all the Pacific Northwest. So that would include Washington, Oregon, California. I've investigated the UK and England, London. And we love it. Our slogan is history has a voice and we want to listen. Dude, that's awesome. So you've been everywhere then. Yeah, man. It's been good. Been a good ride. So uh, what kind of got you started in this? What like got you rolling? What, what started your interest in the paranormal as a whole, I guess? And what got you interested in traveling to explore the paranormal? What got me interested was I was probably, ooh, the age varies depending on my memory, but I would say approximately, I'm going to use that word from now on, approximately six years old at home, sick from school. And it was the days in the dark age when you were allowed to be home alone when you're sick. And um, I was just chilling on my couch, probably watching The prices Right, eating some soup and crackers. And I see this man in pioneer clothing, like probably late 1800s cowboyish style clothing and um he walked up my stairs and then walked down the hallway that absolutely terrified me because child at home no one should be in the house with me mm-hmm. while parents are at work i call my neighbor who was an rcmp officer so royal canadian mounted police but he was at work so his older wife came over imagine a Frail, gray-haired lady coming over with a can of pepper spray. <laughs> so she, uh, yeah, man, she busts in my house like SWAT, like she's serving me a warrant. And then she, um, she cleared my house. There's nobody in there. All the windows, all the doors, the sliding door, 
locked. So that kind of curiosity killed the cat in a sense that sparked my interest on that day when that happened. So when I was back on the men, back at school, I beelined it to my elementary school library and uh, signed out a stack of Goosebumps books and like the old fashioned ghost hunting books and just started my my research and reading then. But there's also a show on this was before the ghost hunting shows like before Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, Paranormal State. There was one you should look this up oh, I definitely called will. Sightings. I don't think I've heard of that one. That, that is the holy grail of paranormal shows. It is very 90s. There's a lot of perms in it, and it's really good. Anything pants. 90s is great, man. It's the, it's the atmosphere of it. <laughs> it is. It, it was a great show, and that really creeped me out, too, and that furthered my, my curiosity. But fast forward six, seven years, and um, my parents used to ship me out to Manitoba every summer. So I'd stay at my cousin's house in Winnipeg. So that would be central Canada. That's, I think, Dakota. North Dakota is below um, Winnipeg for geographical purposes. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, he lived in an older Victorian house in a not-so-great part of the city. And one day we were going out just shopping or whatever, and I'm like, dude, you didn't lock your door. He's like, don't worry about it. My friends watch my house. And then me being 12, 13 years old, I'm like trying to analytically think about this. I'm like, well, there's nobody home. He's like, don't worry. The friends look after my house. I'm like, okay. So that night, settling into the couch to go to sleep. And um, all of a sudden, I hear footsteps coming up the stairs from downstairs. Picture the movie The Conjuring and the basement, same style of basement, all the cobblestone. It was like, because in the old days, it would have been probably a cold storage. Yeah, all the old and, farmhouse looking basements. Mm -hmm. And they had all that was down there was a washer dryer and a rusty old drum set. And um, I hear these footsteps coming from up there. And then the door slams open. And I hear these footsteps all over the kitchen. And I'm like, oh, crap. And then I hear the footsteps go down the stairs again and the door slams and it's happening over and over and over and over again. But so it happens. So I'll go five times. I am um, get the testicular fortitude to go look to see what's going on. And I can hear the footsteps in front of me. I see the door swing open and I can hear and feel the vibration of these footsteps stomping all over the kitchen, but nothing was there. Then it goes back down the stairs, the door shuts. <laughs> so petrified 12-year-old bolts up the stairs, opens my cousin's door. I don't care what he was doing in there at the time. I'm like, dude, your house is haunted. And he's like, I told you my friends look after the house. I'm like, checkmate. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, ever end up looking into uh, your childhood house to see if there was anything going on in that area? I did. Um, I did much later in my life. And um, where I lived, I lived in a really nice, I guess would be upper middle class, air quotation marks I'm doing. You can't see it. But um, area, like nice houses. You don't need to lock your doors, low crime. But before that, it was an old pig farm, a settlement of farmers. There was a church 
on the property is a giant property. So they had pigs, cows, hay, and a psychic once told me that somebody died close to my house, but they couldn't figure out who it was. This would have been back in those days. Mm-hmm. And so I'm assuming now that I'm thinking about it, talking to you, that could definitely be that person. That's what, yeah, definitely. I would assume that would be that. And then uh, mm-hmm. kind of fast forwarding a little bit too into your cousin's house. Uh, did you ever kind of get like a backstory on uh, your cousin's house exactly? Uh, it was a house from the late 1800s. That's about it. And funny, my cousin's house, I was in Manitoba this past year for a funeral and we drive by the house and he stops. He's like, remember this house? I'm like, oh crap, that's the house. He's like, sure is. And uh, I didn't go knock on the door because there was a happy family doing happy family things and I didn't want to tell them their place is haunted. So, <laughs> Hey, depending on your uh, understanding of the paranormal too, um, a lot of the times, you know, if you have that negative energy going on in the house, it kind of helps them kind of grab the energy from that. But if it's a big happy family living on in the house, then, you know, there may not be much activity because they may not have much of that like negative energy to uh, kind of grasp on and be able to really work with. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking about it now from what that could be, I would have chalked that up as like a residual haunting, something playing over and over again. So I don't, I didn't think it was intelligent just because it was so repetitive. So I think I was wondering, could it be an energy imprint? We don't know. I would like to go back and check. See, uh, before we start rolling into all the different uh, stories and all the different things that you've done, um, I'd like to get into kind of like your understanding of the paranormal. Um, I always like to get into different theories of the paranormal because I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, I've kind of entertained the whole uh, quantum theory that it might be like a thinning in the veil, something going on in another dimension, that it's just a weird perception of things, um, that it may actually be like something I don't want to say physically there, but like spiritually attached to the location. And I've gotten into the whole like imprint idea that if something traumatic enough happens that it just echoes through time. And then those are usually the hauntings where they don't really interact with people. But uh, I guess like what's, what's kind of your understanding? Where do, where do you kind of lay with, uh, with the paranormal? That's still, for as long as I've been doing it, that's still something that changes weekly for me. <laughs> yeah. It's a really hard or question de- <laughs> or, or, or depending it's, it, or depending on who I talk to and the information I get, I look at our field as we're learning, we're growing. I don't know more than Johnny or, or Sally or vice versa. I'd rather talk to Johnny and Sally and learn what they think it is and equip me with that knowledge to try and get a better grasp on, on what things actually are. What do I think the paranormal or ghosts? Are you asking me what, you, what I think ghosts are? Yeah, I guess at least at this current time, like what's what's kind of your idea or understanding of like uh, what a ghost is. Um, that being said, though, when I say a ghost, um, I'm not so much talking about like the the imprinted things, but the ones that like interact with people more so. I think, there's, like I said, there's I think in my opinion, there's residual hauntings, intelligent hauntings, and what could cause that? Residual could be a traumatic event, like we talked about before. Or like a battlefield like Gettysburg. You're going to see that soldier walking at 808 every second Wednesday because that's the energy that he left there. Whereas an intelligent haunting is a haunting where they interact with you, where I think most paranormal investigators get their EVPs, their their gadgets going off, and all that sort of thing. Do I think there could be a thinning of the veil? Absolutely. Do I think people attract energy and entities? Absolutely. Do I think you need to be open 
to attract the energy? 100%. Even on that side of things, too, I think it's one of those things that uh, if somebody isn't accepting of it, they're going to try to rationalize it any other way. Where, I mean, to be a good investigator of almost anything, you have to be skeptical just as much as open-minded. Um, but if you're completely closed off to anything open-minded and you're just looking for the most rational explanation of things, you're always going to come up with some type of, as you see, rational explanation for why something weird happened, you know? But, yeah, just... And then if you become an antenna, I guess, then just all the all the experiences kind of get thrown at you, too. And uh, at that point, it's, like, almost undeniable because there's just so much different weird stuff going on, but... <laughs> It's interesting because like a lot of times when we're doing our road tripping and driving to all these random small towns where people aren't, where people are a little conservative with metaphysical, paranormal, spooky stuff, you'll always go in the grocery store to go get gas or a drink and you'll see the gruff guy in there and be like, I don't believe in that crap. However, there's this one story of this. Thing. Everyone says there's this one story, no matter what. <laughs> And like we do a lot of fundraisers for historic properties because our team, we're very history based. We want to keep our history alive. We want to not forget things like buildings, properties, towns. And um, there's always the, the guy that comes, the big guy that comes with his, his girlfriend who drags him out to these events. And um, we will like we'll do the public ghost hunts and all the proceeds go to the properties to ensure they stay afloat. And um, he'll come in skeptic, but leaves usually early or at the end, a believer. That is kind of funny to watch. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because uh, you just present the right information yep. to somebody and then things, certain things become undeniable. And when it comes to the paranormal specifically, it seems like almost everybody has a story that they could consider paranormal. So it's one of those kind of foot in the door type of experiences where you can kind of get anybody onto the other side because everybody's had a, had a weird experience that they can't quite explain. Yeah. And one of the weirdest ones I had growing up was I went through the old Ouija board phase. Ooh, (laughs) bringing stuff directly to you. (laughs) Yeah. I get back from the, the summer of Manitoba. I'm changed after this. Right. And, uh, I used to play in a band And, and, um, we we're doing weed one night. No one was on the drugs. No one was on the booze. We were just doing our thing. We we're just hot summer night. And um, there's the whole, no, you're moving the board. You're moving the board. None of us are moving the board. But my one friend who wasn't doing it said, what is my worst fear? And it spelt out white pit bull. And we're like, that's we weirdly specific. <laughs> Very specific. So, we we uh we go out to go get some Slurpees, go to our local Seven Eleven, and um, we're just walking down the road, and this white pit bull comes out of nowhere, and kind of sections our friend off from our little group, and just kind of corners him and starts barking at him, lunging at him, chomping at him, but not trying to bite him, just kind of trying to kind of scare him, and then the dog just tuck tails and runs away, gone. Was it just like a stray that just wandered up, or was it like in a yard or something? It just came out and wandered up. That makes it even creepier if it just came out of nowhere. It was a white pit bull. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, like that was like, oh, my God, we made contact. <laughs> hey, and that might even be something so. bigger, too, because uh, you hear of stories about, like, things that are more on the mimic side of things. Um, I, I would almost entertain it as possibly that or, you know, even something that could theoretically, like, possess something temporarily. 
just to try to instill fear in you if it was somehow attached to you guys, you know? And if you walked to 7-Eleven, it was still Absolutely. holding on to you guys and it found something nearby that it could scare you with, take the opportunity and collect the energy. <laughs> Another thing we always say when we're using the Ouija's, the spirit boxes, actually anything, anything you could try to communicate with a spirit is a telephone to the other side, essentially. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've learned, and I've learned the hard way a few times, is none of our devices have caller ID. So <laughs> we don't know who we're talking to, right? We could They could say their Aunt Edna, but really their Uncle Norm, who was a complete ass when he was older and wants to terrorize you now. Until, But once you open that gate, you got to know what you're doing. Yeah, because that also kind of brings in uh, the opportunity for things that are, I'd say, a little bit more beyond ghosts, like a little bit darker evil of spirits, too. Yeah, protect yourself and respect. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it all comes down to. Um, so kind of going a little bit more forward into this, too, um, what, uh, like what, what, what kind of transitioned from all of these uh, experiences that you had as a kid to uh, like where you've kind of decided to create a uh, investigating team curiosity and preservation of of our history but i also love helping people we do a lot of residential investigations and and people call us because they're looking for help they're being scared by something in their house and uh, to help them with that stuff and that's one of the most rewarding thing not only making contact and getting getting evidence in the form of EVPs, video, or, or however you obtain it, but to getting the resolution for help. And that that's that's kind of what got me, that, that that's what drives me is helping resolution, but also like I, I've said it, and I, it probably too much now, but preserving history. You go to like in Canada, we have, probably like you guys, have so many old pioneer towns that are now abandoned, just sitting there in shambles. And developers come in, they want to knock them down, put up condos or whatever, um, or they're just forgotten and snow and, and the environment takes them over. But these towns once had Christmas, they had life, death, birth, weddings, happiness, everything, people, thousands of people living in them. And if I can go to one of those towns and help preserve it or get get a message out from a previous resident there, that's that does it for me. That's what I'm into. I'd love to uh, get into some of your history stuff because, of course, like you can't say it enough. It's it's very important to preserve history, and uh, like you can't say it enough on the show. I'm totally okay with uh, promoting like that message. Drinking game now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Start a drinking game for it. Every time we mention uh, <laughs> preserving history, take a shot <laughs> or take a puff if you're one of those people. But <laughs> um, so what, once you got your team formed, uh, like what was like your first first investigation as a team, and uh, what exactly like happened on that first uh, investigation as a team? So, so the paranormal road trippers, we formed, my girlfriend created it. I'll give her the credit. Um, three and a half years ago. Oh, so it's still and relatively so I, fresh been, then. Mm -hmm. But I was on a handful of teams before, like learning the ropes and everything. I was on a local Vancouver team. I created another team here. But the first formed team we had was called the British Columbia Paranormal Investigations. That's basically what we we're called. And um, it was at this old fisherman's wharf in a town called Richmond. And um, 
it was this old fisherman slash trapper shack and you could only get to it once the tide is out and you have a certain amount of time that you can be there before the tide comes in and then you're you're kind of hooped <laughs> does it block it's off rare. or is it like partly underwater both both <laughs> <laughs> and um you have enough space where you could probably just stand till the tide goes back but you don't want to be there yeah, no. and um <laughs> The folklore, I'll use, we'll go into folklore, was that there was an evil spirit that hung around there and would, because that's where a lot of couples would go to get to know each other as well. (laughs) And um, we had nothing happen. One of our investigators once said he felt like something dark entered him for a second, but he didn't call it out when we were there. That, That was my first investigation. I remember it because it was the first one, but it was also the first uneventful one. Which tends to happen because if you're going to have yeah. crazy things happen every time, it kind of pulls away from, uh, you know, people really getting into the story because then it becomes almost like a ghost adventures thing where it's like, yes, there may be some really good solid evidence in there, but it kind of gets diluted out by all the, whoa, did you see that? Whoa, dude, bro, you see that <laughs> you, should, you should get a dude, bro, like. Zach and Aaron do bro on your sound effect there. That would be that would be amazing. <laughs> That's definitely a good one. I've been thinking of new ones to add, so I'm definitely gonna add that one on there. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like for locations for us, like be it a residential or a historic property or someone's business, we like to hit it a minimum of three times before we would say that we have evidence. Cause you got to, for us, a lot of times when you get to the property, you get a lot of action, depending on where you are. But more often than not, you don't. So what we like to do is we like to do a preliminary investigation where we do our baselines with our EMF detectors, like, like our millimeter, um, our FLIR cameras, because a lot of times people will be like, oh, my God, at 2 a.m., there's this demon that knocks in my wall. But our FLIR camera sees that they have old pipes so we, we we like to kind of map out the house or where, where, where like their the power boxes are and all that stuff so we map out the 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 electromagnetic energy in the house i was i'm assuming then, that also will mess with your evps and stuff too absolutely does mm-hmm. and then we kind of well we, we write everything down that we do we document everything and um then we'll kind of get a plan of action for what we want to do but before we even go to the investigation, we research the property, the history, the surrounding area, and everything. Because I'd rather go into a house and say, hey, John, I know you lived here in 1968. Um, are you here? Instead of saying, dude, if there's anyone in here, knock three times. Because like I find the respect aspect of trying to talk to spirits by name that are supposedly in these houses um, goes a lot further. So there's a lot of power in names too, um, even yep. just like bringing things over. Um, I mean, same with people too. If you hear somebody calling your name specifically, it's going to draw your attention a lot better, and you'll probably more so want to talk with that person if they know you by name. Absolutely. And what we do now is when we go to a lot of properties, we'll get the owner of the property, the curator, or whoever's the volunteer, who's ever there, to introduce us and give us a tour. So if the spirits are listening or following us or around us, they understand that we're not just random dudes coming in the house at 11 p.m. saying, bro, knock on everything, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So um, kind of going more into Canada too, because I'm not super duper familiar with uh, haunted locations in Canada. Um, you said, you know, bringing back the preserving history concept. Um, I'd love to hear some of the history of some of the most, uh, I guess, recognized places that you've gotten to investigate as far as Canada goes and uh, a little bit of the backstory about, you know, the locations. Um, one of the coolest locations I've ever been to, and we, we've gone back every year actually, and we get a lot of really good evidence is a place called Barkerville. And to give you an idea of what it was like, if you take Tombstone and Deadwood, put them together, that's what it was. It was cowboy town because there's a big gold rush in the, in the 1860s, late 1850s, there's a gold rush. So American miners came up. British miners came up from all over the world and they pulled out millions, what would be now millions and millions and millions of dollars of gold. And this town was huge, but it burnt down within a day. Then they rebuilt it and it's seen saloons. It's seen dancing girls. It's seen fights. It's seen lawlessness. It's and the energy imprints there is so intense. I, it, your listeners, just look up Barkerville, BC. It's um, where I caught one of my coolest EVPs. I was just, um, my friend works there, so he, he kind of lets us roam. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was walking down the main the main street there, and it's all these old eighteen hundred wood, wooden buildings, all kept up, and it's a heritage building. And I'm walking by the old butcher shop. And when I play my EVP, my audio recorder back, I got an EVP of pigs making pig noises. Clear as day. It was the coolest thing. Never had like ghost or animal EVPs, but that was my first one. So, yeah, that's very different. I haven't and, heard too many with uh, animal EVPs. Yeah. And this is the first time we brought a, a medium up with us one year and we were in the courthouse where, you know, you get sentenced to hang or getting hanged in that in the old days. And um, he, we were in the pitch black. The only person who could see was me because I had a Sony night vision camera in my hand and I can see everything in that nice green haze. And all of a sudden, he just sat down in the, in the judge's chamber, and there's an old deck of cards in there. And in my mind, I'm like, dude, you can't touch that stuff. It's relics. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's just, he's doing solitaire, but he can see perfectly. He's, the cards are lining up, and he's getting more increasingly aggressive, like aggressive solitaire. <laughs> and um, he pounded his, he finally looked up at me and then pounded his hands on the judge's desk and he said you get the fuck out of here and starts taking a run at me and i couldn't see clearly he could see i don't know how but i ran outside and shut the door and basically he stayed in there until and but then when i closed the door he kind of came too and he's like what happened that was that was pretty intense to see so your friend almost got like uh like taken over then he did something, a spirit, I guess, took him over. <laughs> so, uh, like that being said, do you kind of take this place as more of a residual haunting or like an intelligent haunting? Because I guess even if it's a residual haunting, um, 
if there's like a scenario that's playing over and over again, um, it seems like it could possibly kind of like pull somebody into that and kind of replay that scenario. But like, what, what's kind of your view of it? I think like what with the, the, the piggy VPs, that was most likely residual, but I think there's a lot of intelligent hauntings. I a hundred percent think there are, are spirits at, in that town that I think it kind of feels, you said it on one of your podcasts before. It's kind of like, another realm in a sense you can kind of feel that the spirits living amongst their day-to-day life there it's really really bizarre feeling like i love the place like a very heavy dark feeling almost no not at all not dark not dark like i I just think there's spirits there that that died there lived there thrived there and they just haven't left do you think that uh, most of it resorted back to the fire or do you think it's from like all the activity in that area? And also coming back to the fire, uh, is that fire kind of like a mysterious fire or is there like a, like a reasoning to why that fire happened? One per, I don't even think anyone, I think the town was evacuated from what I remember in my, my um, history. Um, the fire was a result of an argument between a dancing girl and somebody else in the saloon. Um, the old heater was knocked over 1800. So it's probably like one of those iron fireplaces knocked mm-hmm. over and all the roofs had, um, canvas tarps on them. And I guess the ashes touched the tarp and boom, took the town down. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think about how many old towns had gotten taken out by small fires. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's this other cool town in the, it's a, it's called the Kootenai region of British Columbia in the Kootenai mountain mountains. And it's called Sandin. It was an old silver rush town. So a lot of people came up there to, to mine for silver. And again, that, <laughs> that town burnt down, had a flood come through it, wiped the town out. So it was rebuilt like three times, but the original city hall still stands there to this day. And two years ago, we investigated it. And one of the, oh, sorry, and two brothel buildings still stand there. And um, one of the ghost or two ghost stories of this town. One is if you investigate the city hall, it said you will find the judge because the city hall was also used as the courthouse. The judge looks over the town on the third floor and you will see a man in Canada judges wear a robe um very british style like a british judge and um you'll see him running up or down the stairs and not shitting you i saw this man clear as day i was walking up the stairs minding my business with my audio recorder just i think i was yapping to myself um oh i'm just going up the stairs and going to the third floor and I thought it was one of the other investigators, but it was this man walked down the stairs and then just, I saw it turn like the robe, like he just flew up like he was going to run away and just vanished. Is there a, a story to this judge about him like dying in the courthouse or is it more so possibly that he just had so much ties to that courthouse that when he passed away, that was where he like attached himself to? The story goes he was stern to the town, and he also took it upon himself to upon himself to look over the town. But he also looked at the brothels often because that's where the window 
was um, facing. Mm. So there's a lot of folklore of what he was doing and his intent, but um, the curators state that he's just looking over the town. Say so it seems like there's a lot of uh, it, like uh, you have like the person that's in the higher standing in society, and then they have the ties yep. into like the brothels. And I'm sure that's where a lot of his, like, darkness came from. Because at least for, like, my understanding of ghosts, um, more often than not, if it wasn't a traumatic death, um, they're, they have a lot of darkness to them. So they have, like, a reason to stay somewhere. So I feel like, just, just from my view and my impression of it, it's not like that, oh, I'm just watching over the town, but he had, like, something, like, dark that he was watching over, which, assumably, was all of these, like, women and uh, it almost makes me kind of curious, too, if there's more ties to it, that maybe there was some murders in the town of some of these brothel women, and maybe they could have possibly been tied back to him. You know what? There's a lot of undocumented times <laughs> in, the, in that era, and, and I, I wouldn't put it past uh, old-style ways with certain things, right? Especially um, back then, how the other, easy it was to hide a crime. Because, you know, back then, if nobody yeah. saw you do it, there was no way to figure out exactly who did it. <laughs> You're in the middle of the mountains, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the, the other story, which came from a friend of ours that who worked at the town, she said she was, because um, she, she, she slept on the property, too. She was getting ready for bed, and she heard saloon music. Loud. And people like dancing and having a good time. But the town was nothing. It was just her on the property. <laughs> That's that <Pitch> residual. Because <laughs> not even just uh, just dark residual. I feel like even if there's like super duper happy, good time residual, it's such a, such a big event that even that can echo through time too. Absolutely. And then if it, we'll, we'll, we'll keep traveling Canada. Now we'll go to... Um, we're going to go back to the Caribou, and it's on the Gold Rush Trail up to Barkerville. And um, there's a town called 108 Mile, 108 Mile Ranch. And um, it used to be an old what, 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 roadhouse. It was a roadhouse. So people would be going up to the Gold Rush, and they would stop there for food, switch out their horses, so forth, have a night just to rest. And... The folklore story is there used to be a lady up there named Agnes McPhee. And it said she used to rob the miners, murder them, and dispose of their bodies. There's a book written on her, but the term is folklore. We don't have documented things about this lady. And apparently she lived up there with her family. It's kind of like the the bloody spenders. Is that... There was a American family that sort of did the same thing in the same era. The Bloody Benders, um, where they would take in people and murder them and rob them. So we've investigated this place often, and I don't often speak of darker energy, um, but this one had some had some shit that made me freak out. <laughs> um, we we are pretty level headed in our investigating. We we kind of. We won't investigate if we're in a mood. We won't investigate if we're sick. We won't investigate if we're in a fight or whatever. Um, we go and kind of chill so we don't attract things. And um, we pull up to this place and we're 
we have the keys. Everything's legal. My, my friend who's uh, he ran tours there was like, have at it, man. There's no tour tonight. And um, Sandra and I are sitting in a car and we're just looking at the building. We're like, you ready to go in? She's like, no, let's just chill for a little longer. And for whatever reason, we were hesitant to go in. And again, we're in the country. There's not much around us, just highway. And a town, a half an hour, a small town, half an hour south of us. So we're sitting there, half an hour goes by, 45 minutes goes by. And she's like, well, I'm thirsty. You just want to go for a drive and we'll come back and investigate here. And she's pretty in tune. I think she was avoiding the place. So we go back, we get a coffee and not Tim Hortons. Then we come back and park. We have the sunroof open because you can see all the stars. And if you're a UFO guy, they say that you see a lot of UFOs up there. Anyhow, um, all of a sudden we hear commotion coming from this old post house. And we're like, what the heck? I have the keys. No one should be in there. So we hear more commotion. And I'm an investigator by nature, by my job. And um, I get out. I'm like, all right, send her roll the camera. Because if we see anything, we want evidence. If it's bad people or a ghost, like people breaking in, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so we get right up to the door. And we hear yelling coming from inside. So I'm like, oh, shit. What the hell's going on in here? And then I lock the door. The door, it opens. Cold air comes out. I'm like, well, it is nighttime. But then we see an actual shadow figure walk past us. It's in the video. Like, I have a video on our YouTube channel. Um, the audio is not great on this video. No judging. Um, it's one of my early videos. Anyhow. <laughs> um and I, I replayed in the video three times because it wasn't me. It wasn't her because she's behind the light. And you see it. And then we pull out our spirit box it's saying my name and saying my friend's name who lives up there and saying our other friend's name who lives up there. And it was so audible. Like, I take a spirit box with a grain of salt. I don't believe everything it says. Um I think some words will line up to what you're saying, but I think a lot of it is interpretation. When you uh, say spirit box too, just a side question. Um, Do you use like one of the app spirit boxes or do you use like an actual like physical spirit box? I tend to steer away from apps because I think our phones have too much frequency in it and it isn't accurate. That's just my opinion. I also get scared <laughs> using the ones on phones too, because uh, <clears throat> you know it, it can pull information. Of course, if it's on a phone app, so if you like hear your name off of one on a phone app, um, it's not mm-hmm. as you know whoa as if you have one from a like a box that isn't attached to any type of internet that wouldn't be able to like pull your name. So I, yeah, just yeah. just a side question. I was just curious, but <laughs> I have an SB seven. Um, I've taken the antenna out, like I fully took it out, and I I clip the wires. So it's just static. So when you get a hit on it, you're like, oh, shit, that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, like, before we did that, we'd always pick up Taylor Swift. We'd always pick up Whitney Houston, whoever was on the top 40 at the time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, it was it was hitting my name. It was hitting my two friends' name. And it said go. It said fuck. It was like, shit, this thing's on fire. Um but then I, I get kind of nervous telling this story because 
I, I faced one of my my worst fears, I would say. And um, I don't like the devil. I don't like dark things. I don't like demons. I want nothing to do with them. Nothing. I've never, knock on wood, came across that stuff in my X amount of years of doing what I do because I feel I repel. I, I just don't want to talk to them. But again, no color ID in what we do. Anyhow. Maybe partly um, too following your intuition in certain cases. Like if you are avoiding that, like your intuition like tells you kind of like which which locations to go and look at. And it seems like it steered yeah. you right so far. So <laughs> Yeah. But then you couldn't pay myself or Sandra a million bucks to go upstairs. That was like the no go zone. <laughs> <laughs> and um fast forward towards the end of our investigation, we were we were getting a lot of a lot of neat stuff coming through. And um, out of the corner of my eye, have you seen the show Evil on Paramount? I have not, but uh, if you want to give a brief description of what it is exactly for the listeners that it's also basically, are uh, It's basically Satan. He looks like a charred person, like burnt person with really white teeth and like yellow eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw something that looked like that in the corner of this building, crouching, staring at me, smiling. Oh my god, I get chills even saying it because I don't want anything to do with it. See, I'm getting chills thinking about it too because I've done some urban exploring myself, and uh, the one big experience that I did have where I got pictures of it, it was in a crouching position. So I don't know. There's yeah. just something so intimidating about a dark force that you know is a dark force in a crouching position, and that smile is just yeah. an extra little cherry on top. <laughs> I, Google this guy while, while we're talking. If 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 you get your internet open, just it's called Evil on Paramount. Just put you'll see him and then devil um do i think it was the devil no um but then i guess this thing like after i saw him i'm like done it's over let's go home (laughs) um so we went back to my friend's house and talked about it and uh it turns out this thing was attached to me for about a year i had to get it removed from a person who removes attachments do you think it was from that location specifically, or do you think that it may have been something that was like attached to you and it just uh, maybe harvested the energy from that location? I think it was from the, the, the person who I talked to and helped me through it. Um, his name's Ron. Amazing. Uh, he was, uh, or it was attached to the location. And then it and attached itself like, to you afterwards then. Yeah. Didn't like my attitude, I guess. <laughs> um <laughs> so I I say attitude, but I don't know. I'm very respectful w- w- with what we do. Um, but I guess us being there or inquiring, but yeah, it stayed attached to me. I didn't realize it was attached to me till he told me. He's like, dude, you have something pretty cranky and dark attached to you. You need it gone. So it took quite some time to actually remove it. Was and it-, it actually... Was it like a feeling or something? Like you didn't know like at all? Like it, it wasn't even just like a, like you felt like something was off and that's kind of why you questioned it? Um, I could feel something in my place mm-hmm. always with me. Um, I was crankier, a little crankier. I wouldn't say I was oppressed. I wouldn't use that word. Um, my cat didn't like the area of my house. Because I think it stayed in certain areas. So it was playing um, it smart. It was trying to uh, trying to hide in a way too, and probably yeah, just kind of like harvest your energy off of you. Yeah. And um, now he's gone. It, whatever you want to call it. 
<laughs> the thing. <laughs> the thing. The burnt thing. <laughs> but no, it was, it was terrifying. And I think whatever it was, probably I was told made itself look like that because he knows that's one of my fears. Or it knows it's one of my fears. See, and that kind of brings in the question too of uh, like when it comes to the paranormal, I almost feel like there's almost like a like a hierarchy of things. And I've had a few people talk about it on the show where it's kind of like you'll have these basic low-level ones that'll kind of get the attachment going. And uh, once everything kind of gets rolling, then like the big dogs kind of come in. And uh, just at least from my impression of this guy, this guy was like one of the big dogs and he saw that, you know, you had a lot of whatever he happened to want. So he jumped right on you and it didn't seem like there was much of that like low-level attachment to build up to it. He just grasped and you know went hitchhiking essentially <laughs> sure did and then i had to get my place blessed i have salt on all my entrances i um i purify and smudge and keep my place very positive at all times you uh may not know the answer to this question but it's always been something i'm kind of curious about and you know even if you have just kind of like a possible rough idea or a possible theory whatever you want to throw at it um from when somebody has something attached to them and somebody gets rid of it, uh, do you have any idea of what may happen to that thing? Like, does it get dissolved? Does it move on? Does it go back to the location that it was originally at? Um, I've, yeah, I've always been kind of curious what happens after you get something removed. Like, what, what, what exactly where it goes, I guess. I was told the one that was on me is back where, where it's from. So it gets pulled back to the main location? Assumably, yeah. like, if it's a stronger one. Like, the... Does, does from your understanding at least does everything kind of get pulled back to its original location or do certain things kind of get like uh like they say energy can't be created nor destroyed but dissipated maybe into another another reality possibly I can't I I don't know would be my honest answer the only the only experiences I have is um with a few people that have had attachments where they the people taking the attachments away so it's gone back to where it came from where where that's from we don't know <laughs> could be <laughs> the original back. location could be <laughs> the afterlife like i guess it's one yeah. of those questions we'll never know till we get in there but it's always cool to make you know theories about it and just kind of question where, where what could possibly happen <laughs> yeah and, and like i've been back to that location since <laughs> um i could feel the energy there but i was prepared for it and I wouldn't let it attach or even come near me. So just at least from your understanding, um, it's probably there. And I mean, it may even know too that you have the ability to cast it off of you. So it's probably like, nah, I'll just wait for the next one because I know that as soon as I attach myself, he's going to know and then I'm just going to get sent right back here anyway. So it's probably not even worth the effort. <laughs> yeah. And and like paranormal investigating um, is fun, obviously. Um, but it's no joke. It, it, it can, you gotta be very careful when you do it. Like I've noticed a big boom in teams the past three years, I'd say there's a lot of teams coming out now. Um, which is cool. You do, you go out, explore, have fun and, and find them ghosts, but you gotta, you gotta protect yourself. You gotta be careful and you gotta go on level headed. Like there's one house we went to and like my day job, I'm in, I'm in enforcement and when I do my EVP sessions, I sometimes come across as, I wouldn't say gruff, but give me that answer. <laughs> and so I, I, I try and tone down how I talk. And um, 
we were at a place in a town called Merritt, British Columbia. And I was conducting an EVP session upstairs in the same um, medium who was in Barkerville with us that was playing Dark Solitaire. Um, was like, Mike, you got to, there's, there's a man up here. He's He's not overly impressed. But I don't think it's you. I just don't think he likes that we're here right now. I'm like, okay. So then I kind of steer my ship to why don't you like us here? Can you tell us why you don't like us here? And so forth. Um, all of a sudden, I felt a hand on my neck and it squeezed. Mm. Squeezed. And I, I'm a guy that likes to control my surroundings. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I couldn't bat it away. I was totally at its mercy. And squeezed a little more, let go. Then I tucked tail and ran the hell out of that house. And I went and puked in the flower bush. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came outside. Sorry, our, our other team member who's also sensitive, she came outside to check on me. And I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. That just kind of screwed me up a bit. <laughs> and I'm like, how does that happen? Clearly it does. It manifested its energy to make itself known physically. And we go back in the house and we hear, um, we all hear it, a loud growl. So we didn't push it. We're like, I think we're done here tonight. Did it and almost seem uh, animalistic or more like a, like a human growl? Animalistic. But I think it was done to scare us. And it's not the first time I've heard that sound in that house. <laughs> Makes it even just that much creepier. <laughs> so I've gone back every year since because we, we do fundraisers for the place. Like, like we'll um, do a night of public ghost hunting, pay for the tickets, and all proceeds go to this place. And then the following night, they allow our team to do a like a private investigation. And the following year we go, I get batted on the arm in the same hallway. And it always seems, and then the following year, my girlfriend has something running at her down that hallway. And then, yeah, this, so this past October, we had um, me and our new investigator, Anthony, he came down from Barkerville, because that's where he lives, to uh, help me and do a tour, a Halloween tour for a radio show or a radio station that's in this town. And we take them in there. We get some pretty cool evidence while they're investigating. Um, the radio show leaves, and Anthony's like, hey, Mike, I've never investigated here. Um, could we hang out for a bit? I'm like, so just you and me in this house? He's like, yeah. So I'm like, reluctantly, okay. That's fine. And because um, this house scares me. I, I respect it. I, I, I love the house. I love the, to preserve it. It just there's some ghosts in there that, yeah, <laughs> and and we go to the floor where all this stuff has always happened, and he's like, "I like it here, Mike. I could live here forever." And I'm like, "Dude, are we in The Shining?" I was about to say that's probably one of the creepiest statements you could hear at that time. <laughs> and, and and Anthony has a gold tooth, right? So after he said that, he just smiles, and I see the gold going. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> he's he's like I'm really comfy in here. I just don't want to leave. And then he he's he rattles off a couple more, not his character type sayings and demeanor. 
And then he kind of shakes out of it. He's like, all right, I think we're done here. I'm like, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, making theories about this kind of stuff. Do you think that, uh, just at least again, from your understanding, it's all opinion based, but when it comes to situations like this, do you think that it's uh, possible that it's the ghost or the spirit trying to take over the person? Or do you think if it comes to being more of like a residual haunting that there's almost like a, like a track, if that makes sense. And if somebody sits in that track, then they kind of just flow with the track. Oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, I think it's intelligent and I think it knows we come there. And I think we've, uh, we've established a relationship with the house. That's what I think happened. So it's trying to communicate with you, but uh, kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I would say, I guess what it said exactly seems like it, it could possibly be a replay, but just yep. considering the scenario, it is more than likely it interacting directly and not something that it's said in the past that it's reliving again. And I've been documenting this play. Like I said, we've been there multiple times, but I've been documenting on paper as well as clipping. Oh, there's your cat. My cat's back here. <laughs> Say um, a couple hiding back here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we've been clipping all of our video, all of our audio, and I've been compiling it all. And I've, I'm debating on what to do with it because we have so much evidence from this place. It, it's a beautiful house, beautiful town, and it just wants to tell its story. And that's really what I'm, I'm trying to do. So I guess kind of, at least from like your understanding of it, um, what what's kind of like the the picture that you've kind of painted um as far as the history of this place the picture like at least what it what it seems like it like the story that it's trying to tell versus like maybe the commonly known story of the town i think it's trying to get some some sort of i know I think it's got his point across that, yes, there's ghosts there, mm-hmm. or they, because I think there's multiple spirits there. But I think they're very old-fashioned-minded. Like, you know, in those days, you can't use certain words or they'll get really cranky at you. And I think with our modern lingo and, and stuff like that, I think it, it may upset them sometimes. So that's one thing we've been trying to do is adjust how we speak to the times, which has been successful. But what do I think this house is trying to tell me? That's what I'm trying to grasp. Possibly that it's more so not that it's uh, trying to unveil a mystery, but rather that it's trying to maintain its place in time, if that makes sense. It's kind of at least the understanding that I'm getting from from what you're saying. I think think you you nailed it on the head. I think it's trying to, to keep its place. Like we're here, we're not going anywhere, so this is how we want things to be kind of a thing. This is our house, yeah. So uh, I guess kind of still moving around Canada, if you have some more uh, history that you'd like to share with Canada, I would definitely like to get into uh, some of your American um, investigations. And then you also said that you made it to Europe for some investigations. So I definitely like to uh, touch base on some of those too, of course. All right. We're, we're going to get our passports. We're going we're to cross the United States right now. And uh, Wolf Creek in in Oregon. That's a cool place. So the Wolf Creek Inn was, I guess, sort of the end of the Oregon Trail, per se. And um, built in the 1800s. It Clark Gable lived there for a while. Um, who wrote Gone with the Wind? What, do you know his name? I can look that up real quick, actually. Because that guy lived there, too. 
Gotta <laughs> play this one while I'm doing it. Oh, that's awesome. Looks like Margaret Mitchell. Okay. Um, no, sorry, White Fang. That's the one. Hit the music. White Fang. All right, back to the Jeopardy yeah. music. Yeah. Jack London. Thank you. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, and like they, like I said, Clark Gable up there, and allegedly this was the place where he met ladies and stuff during movies and in between like his his day job stuff. There's a lot of weird um, paranormal ties that seem to always be linked to that. Ironically enough. <laughs> yeah. Um that this building was so cool. Now I I don't have many stories about it. But the but the property is so cool. Like when when I was there, there were so many ghost hunters. Like it's total paranormal paratourism. We'd be in bed at like 4 a.m. and all of a sudden you'd hear like a REM pod kick off outside our our bedroom and then people just hit into EVP question. Who's here? Who's here? <laughs> Playing um, good cop, bad cop without the good cop. <laughs> yelling at <yep>. it. <laughs> That's a good way to get and in and talk to you. Just yell at them. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm laying in bed. And I'm like, it's four o'clock. This is too. Come on. <laughs> um, but then there's another old town, a stone's throw away called Golden. And Ghost Adventures went to both of these places. It's where they said an energy vampire lived in the woods and would follow you home and kind of screw with you. And I did not experience any energy vampires there. But um, the church that we got to investigate, we got some really weird EVPs that I thought were bats because there were bats inside. And you could hear me call on our audio recorder. Oh, there's a bat again. There's a bat again. But when we played back, we were getting full words to our questions. And this. Do you remember any of them it, offhand? Because I'm definitely curious now. Uh, one, one of them was like, are you here with us? Like off the top of my head, I can't remember his name. Because um, it was a long time ago we were there. But At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We got one that said, I am. We got one that said, fuck. And we got one that said, me. Those are three that I remember from there. <laughs> that was look up look up Golden Organ, the the, the, the church there, and and Wolf Creek Inn. I, I'd I'd love to go back to Wolf Creek Inn and do a lot more investigative time there, and um, just because you can feel it, man, when you walk in, it, it's pretty pretty intense. Um, Not to uh, pull yeah. away from our awesome paranormal road trip that we're doing here, but uh, just another. Side question that I'm uh, one of the many things that I contemplate and I'm curious about, um, and I'm curious for your opinion on it, of course. When it comes to uh, like the the paranormal traveling, where you have a location where there's a bunch of people that go and investigate this specific location, 
Um, I guess there's two ways to look at it. One, it could either ramp up the energy because there's a lot more energy going on there. So there may be a lot more things that show themselves. Or two, once a lot of people start going to a location, um, it may, I don't want to say anger the spirits, but the spirits may leave just because there's too much traffic there. Um, what's kind of your opinion on it? Do you think that paranormal road tripping to, well, you use a better term for it, but um, paranormal tour, tourism. Yes. Do you think that it increases the activity in an area or do you think that it decreases the activity in the area? I think it depends on how hard it's hit. I, I, I think if you go to a place so much, I only think, I think you're on the spirit's terms. If they're going to talk to you, they're going to talk to you. If they're not, there's no point. You can try. It's like if I didn't want to talk to someone, I'm not going to talk to them. Because <laughs> it seems like but a lot I, of the time when people will turn a haunted location into more of like a tourist attraction, that when there's a lot less people going there before it becomes popular, there's a lot more intense experiences than after it becomes like a tourist attraction where there's almost like lines of people following through. It seems like there's little to no activity, or if there is activity, it's something very light, like somebody getting like their shoulder brushed or something. So I don't know. I've always kind of felt like if, at least if I was a spirit – and a place that I dwelled in turned into almost like an amusement park, I would try to move my attachment or get away from that place because at that point it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's just like like too much. Like it's almost like you're um, like exploiting the fact that it's haunted to a certain extent, you know, and that may anger the spirits in a way that they want to leave or they're going to get more active. But I kind of side more on the least active side, like they just want to dip out of it and not be part of it. <laughs> I fully agree. I, I, I think they get tired. I, I think it zaps their energy too. Um, with the constant people going through, the constant provoking, the constant knock three times. If you if someone came into your house and told you to knock three times, four times a day, how would you feel? <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. It's just all right, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> and and that's kind of how I try like for me, I try to differ. I try to learn about the property and learn about the character, like the players that, that live there. And that's, I want to communicate on a personal level. And it seems to work. Works better than just going in a little blind or generic. Going in with the respect, like you're mentioning in the beginning, yep. because I, I, even just in general, when it comes to researching anything, I feel like it makes a lot more sense to know what you're getting yourself into. Um, you know, like if you're just going to a location and maybe if there's no history known about it, it's one thing, but if there is history known about it and you're going to investigate this place and you don't do that, it's almost like you're not doing half the work, you know, you're just yep. looking for the experience, but you're not really going to get the experience because you're not, you don't know the backstory. That's, that's half the battle. You know, it's, if, if, if you have some kind of weird experience happen and you don't know, just, just for example, you know, like, um, you're, you're in like a haunted house and a doll keeps getting moved. If you don't know the background of the house that maybe like a little girl died in the house, then you're going in there completely blind and you don't know what exactly you're dealing with. Yep. And an example of that is there's a location. All right, we're going back to Canada in, um, in Powell River called the Rodmay Hotel. And one of the factual stories is two German kids died in a fire in this hotel. And coincidentally, my girlfriend is from Deutschland. So she speaks Germany or speaks German. And um, I'm like, all right, Sandra, it's your time to shine. We need, we, we need your language here. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and she starts to do a full EVP session in German. Like it was, it was cool to watch. So we had our Polter tune set up and we had boo buddy out. 
So these are trigger toys we were trying to use for the children to see if they'd come talk to us. And um, in German, she asks, do you like this? Is there anyone here? Do you like this bear? Um, trying to talk about kid games, kid toys. And so when she talked about the bear again, would you like this teddy bear? The polter tune goes off. And the only way the polter tune would go off is if you break the IR blaster in it. And there's nobody in that 1.5 meters. And then she asked, if you died in the place, the polter tune goes off. Every question she would ask in German, it would go off. But when she'd switch back to English, nothing. <laughs> That's something I didn't even take into consideration. That's a really interesting, like, it makes complete sense, but it's something that I feel like a lot of uh, paranormal researchers don't think about or take into consideration. And that's, again, knowing half the history. <laughs> yeah, and and, and it, it was just interesting to, like, find that history. And, the, like, throughout BC, there's, there's a lot of German settlements from people farm, coming to farm and stuff. And often we've been, we've been utilizing her language quite a bit the past couple of years, and it works. It absolutely works. Or even Google Translate. We were at, we'll, we'll go back up to Barkerville. We were in one of the Qigong Tong buildings. So those would be like the equivalent to like the Chinese Freemasons. Um, and it would just be one of the buildings where they're, their miners would live back in the 1800s. And um, with Google Translate, we were asking questions in, in Mandarin and Cantonese, and we'd get responses back. Whereas, like, you, you ask in English, like a lot of these men, well, some of them obviously knew English, but a lot of them were were immigrants, and, and, they, and they just arrived in Canada in, the, in, in those days. So they're still learning the, the language and but they speak in they were speaking in Cantonese and Mandarin, which which is really cool to experience using the translator because you're kind of trying to cater to the spirit. Hey, we, we get it, man. You, you don't you only can speak German. You can only speak Cantonese. Well, we got something for that. We got an app for that. <laughs> and is, um, is it hard to translate those EVPs considering it's kind of like a wisp to begin with? And you kind of you can't really just be like put the translator directly up to it do you kind of have to like break it down more i guess is it harder to, to translate from the evp if in another language so how, how we would run an evp session using google translate we'd be we would ask a question did did you did, did you pan did you pan for gold did you work in the mines you'd ask in english then you'd ask it like in cantonese or mandarin and then you would wait and then, because when you're reviewing your evidence, then you kind of have your subtitle there, so you remember what what is being said. And I have, I like, I have a couple of friends that speak Mandarin and Cantonese fluently, and I'd be like, "What does this sound like?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, a couple of times, like, they'd be like, "Oh, wow!" And we we got some 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 pretty cool EVPs through that. Staying up in uh in Canada, of course. Um, obviously, there's a lot of French too. Have you uh, had to deal with like French as far as like language barrier goes too? Doing EVPs, um, or is that kind of too far north for you? I don't speak French. Uh, <laughs> um, I was just curious if you've you been were... to any uh, like French speaking locations before and had to do anything with like French yet. No, 
not at all. Um, my fa- like I don't speak it, but my my family, like my dad's side, they're all Quebecois, so they they speak like from Manitoba. There's a French settlement, and they speak French to this day. I wish I learned it, but no, I have not experienced that French. One day, <laughs> it may become a factor. <laughs> One day. I can say, je m'appelle Mike. There we go. I am Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that matters. You can say your name. At least you can introduce yourself to the spirits. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess coming back to the United States to continue on this awesome paranormal road trip, uh, what, what, what's the next location for uh, United States? Um, this is one where nothing happened, so it was a very big letdown. <laughs> um if you guys watch Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, um, a lot of the shows have been to this next location. So it's got kind of a, it's got it's kind of on a pedestal, and it's a place a lot of people want to go. It's in a place called Port Townsend, Washington. It's called Menrisa Castle, and it was a castle again. We had Sandra, but she didn't speak German at this one because I didn't ask her to. <laughs> um, but it was built by a, a German man back in the old days in the form of like a, a European castle. Uh, if you Google it, you'll be like, wow, that place is cool. And um, it said that a, a monk hung himself on the, in the attic. So we stayed in the room below that. Cause if you refer back to the ghost adventures episode, they say you could hear the monk up there. Um, but we did not, we didn't hear anything. Um, they say you could experience, uh, I think, I think they said a darker spirit in the kitchen area. Um, we didn't experience anything at this place for three nights. Might just be that over, overfished pond type of concept. I think so. I, 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 I 100% think that that could be it as well. Cause we, um, we hit it pretty hard and, and really thorough and we used a lot of different tools, gadgets, and gear to try. I mean, the other uh, thing that kind of I take into consideration too, um, especially if it becomes popular from like ghost hunting shows specifically, um, a lot of ghost hunting shows, unfortunately, are there for entertainment. So they may pick a location that's a very fascinating location itself that may not actually have any paranormal activity to it, but it may look like it does because of just, you know, the location and the ambiance of the location itself too. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Um, I had a really cool experience this past summer. Um, my friend Ross, he's he's doing some filming for something he's working on, and he asked me to come, come help hold some camera and be a part of it. And I'm like, heck yeah, I'm in. Um, we went to St. Ignatius Hospital in Colfax, Washington. And um, the cool part is I got a lot of alone time in this place where it was just me in the building for a while because they had rented it out right and um, when they were setting their gear up or getting ready or doing their thing I was allowed to just go go open range do my thing and um, I was up by a place called Rose's Room and uh, the, the there used to be a patient there named Rose who didn't like men around or it would get kind of cranky with men around. And I was in and around the room. I, I, I did go in. I felt really uneasy. And then when I was walking down the hallway, 
I felt somebody run up right behind me like I was going to be taken down. And just picture being, just look, look up St. Ignatius. It's, it's kind of like Waverly Hills, same sort of building, same sort of thing. And it terrified me. And then I went back downstairs and I felt like somebody was going to push me down the stairs. And I, I just felt somebody right behind me the entire time. And I feel that they were maybe trying to push me out of that area or push me to my like my friends that were on the main floor getting all their stuff ready, but terrifying. Oh yeah. I'll definitely. Be back there in March. <laughs> from, uh, from your experience, do you feel like, uh, like paranormal things are more active, uh, when you're by yourself or like when you're with a team or do you think it all kind of just depends on, on the spirit itself? I think smaller the team, this is just my opinion. I think smaller the team, the more evidence or action you'll get. And the reason I say that is there's less of an energy overload. There's less, mainly there's less contamination. You have more room to to breathe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And there's less EMF. There's less cell phones. There's less, you had a bad day and you're here, but you're not telling everyone you had a bad day. So that kind of it kind of tanks the energy of everything too um so personally smaller the better yeah as but it never do it alone things. <laughs> um yeah <laughs> never do it alone i i just think you should at least have one person with you i like to, to have like a team of three is, is optimal for me especially if you're going to locations where you know it's happened to you at least twice that you've told at least in your stories about um people being temporarily, whatever you want to say, taken over by uh, other forces. Um, if somebody else isn't there, like who knows how, how far that could go, theoretically. 100%. And, and, that's, and you, you really need to be aware of your surroundings, not only from spirits, but from real people too. Because a lot of these locations could have squatters in them, homeless people, or people that are just sick of having ghost hunters or people lurking around at night. So like our team, we, we, we never trespass. We never, we never do anything that could get us into trouble for those reasons. Also got to look out for addicts too. I think that'd be the, one of the scariest ones. Cause you never know how they may react if you walk in on the wrong things too. And I mean, 100%. at least from my experience, urban exploring, um, you know, a lot of that links to, haunted locations but <laughs> you hear something off in the distance and it's like oh is that paranormal or is that <laughs> something else yep. i want to avoid that's more in this physical realm <laughs> yeah another cool story i could give you about up in canada this was a residential investigation it's kind of part of funny part of it's funny so we'll go put a sprinkle of funny in it and then a sprinkle of creepy um we are this was a different team at, at the time and uh, our case manager was new. And whenever we get new clients or, or residentials, we, we vet them. Like we ask a ton of questions from occult, drug use, mental health, everything that could be a factor into why you think your place is haunted. And um, they forgot to ask, or they forgot to say that we're not entertainment. <laughs> so we'll, we'll pause that part of the story there. Then I'll tell you about my day that day. Yeah. Um, with my job, I attended a, I went to a, a call 
where there was a sudden death. So there was a dead person in the property or on the property and we had to go in the house. And it was really sad. It was, it was a man, I won't go into too much detail, but he was, he was passed away, but he was staring at a photo, I guess, an old photo of his wife. So I was like, oh man, that's, that's brutal. And then fast forward to the, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say just a, just a little side note was, uh, was it, um, without getting too detailed, I guess, was it, was it like a, like a suicide or was it like no. a, like somebody no. was in the house, they passed away and then it was just like a body discovered later. Natural causes. Natural causes. Okay. I was just yeah. curious. Yeah. No. And, uh, so we'll fast forward, but we're going to go back to the entertainment house <laughs> and uh, I roll up. I was a little late. I was feeling a little off after my day. Cause I don't like to see that stuff. I see it more often than not unfortunately but um something you'll probably never get used to too i mean i've never kind of no. been in that position myself but assumably it's something that no matter how many times you see it you'll never get used to it <laughs> exactly and i i roll up to this house in our medium the mr dark dark solitaire man um he's like mike who'd you bring with you i'm like i look in the back i'm like no one <laughs> and He's like, well, no, you did. You have an attachment today. Someone hitched a ride. I'm like, he's like, how's your day at work? I'm like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> and um, he described the man to a T, right down to the hair color, age, and everything. He's like, this man was pissed here in his house because he doesn't realize he was gone yet. I'm like, well, I was legally allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to but, help um, him. He just didn't understand yeah. it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's like, well, he's really upset. And then me being a little sensitive, too, I kind of just put it out there. I'm sorry. I was out of respect. And then our, our medium friend, he had to cut the cord and, like, make him go back to where he comes from, I guess. Assumably at that point, probably that location, because he still hadn't really had like an understanding of what was really going on with him yet. And the creepy part, I was in that house again today. But anyhow, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, actually. But then, um, so that's all fixed. I don't have no more attachments. So business as usual, back into our investigation. We walk inside. And there is 18 people sitting there waiting for the paranormal show. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like uh call up all the friends and family because we got some uh paranormal investigators coming over <laughs> we got some ghost hunters everyone was drinking wine they had appies out oh man and I can already tell the <laughs> inside me was furious <laughs> but you got to pretend but like yeah. you're not though <laughs> oh no there was a lot of smiling and nodding that night <laughs> and um so we we kind of I, I look at our case manager at the time i'm like what did you do <laughs> and uh whatever we were like all right there's we were we were up front we're like well a few too many people here so we don't know what kind of evidence we're going to get so we did like a light investigation for them but we didn't we didn't get anything and um that's my story of an of, a, of an attachment <laughs> at a residential and you, uh, you said you went back to this location recently. Um, just yeah. a sidebar. Um, do do you feel like that attachment's still there? Do you feel like there's anything still going out that house? Like, just no. did you get any other energy from it at all? Not at all. 
So since he died from natural causes, it was more likely that you were the first thing that he saw after that. So he attached himself to it. And then, you know, assumably he, just like anybody else, he probably had that, I don't want to say purgatory time, but maybe how we perceive as like purgatory time when he's still trying to figure stuff out. And then more than likely he, you know, passed on. <laughs> yeah. And, and that also kind of re made me rethink about the paranormal and, and, and why I do what I do. And that's where the help comes into, because I don't want somebody being trapped or sad or angry that, that we're there for things. I'd rather help a person. I don't cross people over. That's not my job, but I'd rather get a message out or find some sort of help, some sort of resolution. Or if they have a message, sometimes they don't want to leave till they, they get that final word in. So you're the, you're like the ground layer in a, in a sense, that's a good way to kind of look at it, that you're the one that's there to figure out their story, confirm that there's something going on there. And then be, because of you doing that, then you can have somebody come in that can help them pass on. But if you don't do the groundwork, laying out the groundwork that you do first, then you can't really get to that point. So like, you help exactly. get to that point. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and paranormal investigating, there's a lot of aftercare, I call it. You can't just go to a house and be like, well, it's haunted. They don't like you. So you're fucked. Peace. I got my EVP. Um, I don't like that. That that type of investigating upsets me because people put so much faith in you to at least give them some sort of resolution or point their ship into which way to go. Yeah, it's kind of defeats the purpose of having somebody come and check out the location if all they do is come there and just say, "Yep, thank you, bye." <laughs> your your yeah. house is haunted, and I got what I needed, which was this recording. So bye. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's why, like, even residentials, we do, like I said earlier, three separate investigations, baseline, in-depth, and then we will do a review and talk to the client and what we feel is going on. I definitely like uh, the way you paranormal investigate. I always appreciate the uh, the people that are, I feel, doing it for the right reasons and doing it correctly, like true, honest paranormal investigators rather than like the entertainment aspect of paranormal investigators, which is, you know, you're dropping your stories saying that nothing interesting happened, but I appreciate those stories just as much as I appreciate the stuff where stuff's happening because it just shows what type of investigating you're doing and that you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, thank you. But, uh, again, bouncing back into uh, some of the United States locations too, and if you don't have any many much more, that's totally fine too. Um because I definitely would like to cover some of your Europe locations because I haven't had the opportunity to do that or Canadian on my show yet. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, you know what? We'll go to London, England. Um, in 2004, I lived there. I lived there for a year. I got a holiday working visa, part of the Commonwealth. It's fairly easy to do. And um, I was a bartender. I lived in southeast London. And the building I lived in was predating 1800s because everything's old there it's totally different than north america totally different were you just uh over um, there for the uh for the experience i'm assuming mm -hmm. like you just got the visa and just want to live there just for the sake of living no there? witnesses man i did what i needed to do over there and came home chill oh. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm kidding it was i wanted to it was kind of that age in between where you're you're an adult leaving your parents house to like becoming an actual adult yeah just trying to experience the world yeah, that's exactly what I did. My intent was to go there and travel. I just ended up getting a job at a really cool old pub and didn't look back. It was fun. Mm -hmm. And I lived in, yeah, southeast London. It's kind of a rough area. And I'd come home from work sober after my shift. And probably 
2, 3 a.m. Nobody was awake. I, it wasn't a party place. And uh, I go up to the second. They don't have elevators there. <laughs> so um, get get my steps in. And I go to the second floor and wait before we get flamed and, and burned. Oh, they don't have elevators. They do have elevators in England, just not my building. <laughs> and um, Or as they call them, lifts. <laughs> lifts, thank you. I was living in a flat, not an apartment. Um, and so I walk up to the second floor. The washroom is out of order. I'm like, oh, come on. So I, I go up and I waddle up to the third floor. And um, I see this woman in a green... Jack the Ripper era, that whatever era, that era style clothing. Like 1800s? Um, 1800s, early 1800s. And she had fire orange hair, like orange hair. And she was just standing in the washroom looking in the mirror. And then when I turned around, this is where the story takes a turn into the weirdness. Um, sober, awake. No sleepwalking, no dreams. Um, she turns around and flips her dress up at me. I see the whole the whole show. And then I'm like, what is happening? And I kind of close my eyes, shake my head, and it's gone. Gone. Was she like a like I, apparition form or like solid form? Looked like a like a full blown, full body apparition. Ooh, that makes it even I wasn't prepared for it. I was literally <laughs> just going upstairs to go pee and go to bed and brush my teeth. That's all I wanted to do. And I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't just see the ghost. I saw all of the ghosts. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> wow, that's um, I don't know, dude. That's 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 a very different experience that I've never heard before. Um, I've heard a lot about you know like the whole like paranormal ghost um, sexual encounters. But uh, oh, not, we didn't get not that quite that, <laughs> not quite that. Like it's a little bit different, you know. Usually it's like uh, some in the sleep, um, you know. It is all about perception, so it's you know it could be looked at both ways. But when it comes to that, that's like a solid thing in front of you. Like it's just a little bit different than the other stories I've heard, and it's something different. Like, and so word on the street is, is there was a woman in a in a green dress that haunted the place. I'm like. Saw her. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get uh, any like the backstory to it um, of like who she may have been, what she may have done, like how how she may have died? Possibly. I know that place. I think was a brothel at some point, so that would make sense. The usual um, haunted brothels, because of yeah, there's a lot of misery and trauma there, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, it was an apartment. It was low income. It was a lot of places over the years. I know it was a jousting area because I lived relatively on the other side of the Thames River was the Tower of London, so I wasn't too far away from that stuff. Um, I know there's, yeah, a jousting place, I think, in front of where I lived before in the old days. Like, it was a hopping place back in the old days. Mm -hmm. And assumably, uh, when it comes to a lot of those brothel-type situations, um, probably more often than not, something went wrong, and the person who was paying for the service probably killed her. That, that That's at least what I would assume from pretty much any of the haunted brothel stories. Because yeah, I feel no, like it, if you're attached, um, at least from somebody that works in a brothel, um, I don't know, maybe you are attached through misery, but if you're going to attach yourself to a location, I feel like 
it wouldn't be that unless it was specifically a traumatic event that led to your death from that location. Yeah, something something clearly kept her there. And um, we'll move into the country of England now. We're going to go to Warwick Castle. And um, I was just being a tourist that day. And I was walking up one of the the corners of the castle. I forget what those are called. Um, and it was like a spiral staircase in a, in a, whatever, it's a castle. Mm-hmm. And I'm just walking up. And uh, I see this person walking in front of me, but I don't hear the footsteps. I'm like, okay, that's pretty slick. And um, I finally get to the top. This person was like in a in a darker, looking back on it now, because I can still picture it, probably like a darker, not a, a tuxedo, but more of like a, a suit in a sense. Mm-hmm. And it was a male. And um, I, I, I read, I bought a, a work ghost, like a ghost storybook. And that was one of the, the tales. I was uh, seeing seeing an apparition going up those stairs. What's uh What's the backstory to it? If since you said you had the book, what the heck was the story? Um, if you remember offhand, that is. <laughs> I don't remember. I won't even pretend. So I just remember seeing that guy, and I remember that there was a story about him. So, uh, kind of doing your your paranormal investigations uh, overseas. Um, did you kind of stay near the London area, or did you kind of branch out a little bit more? I, I just stayed in London. I, I, I that's all I did. Um, they said the pub I worked in was haunted, but I never experienced anything there. But uh, yeah, the place I lived in, I'd always see things out of the corner of my eye. I'd always hear voices when people were all asleep. That place was very active. I'd like to go back there as myself today and bring my bring my gear and see what type of stuff I could pull out of there, EVP wise. Because I'm assuming you've only been to uh, Europe once, and this was kind of, like you were saying, like in your in-between phase before you kind of got like serious, serious about uh, paranormal investigating? Twice. Twice. I've been to Europe. Uh, the first time I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a ghost trip. It was a school trip. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, that, those are my two notable stories about, uh, about England. Um Another graphic one I could tell was, actually, I've never told this story. Here's a first. Ooh, I always um, loved being the first one. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was walking home with a friend from work, and I really had to go number one. And I went into the alley. An alley, this was an older part of southeast London before we got home. And um, I was doing my thing. She was watching, making sure no one was around. And I felt someone run up and push me. And then push me away from something. And then I'm like, okay, that wasn't you because you're still standing there. But it pushed me away from like an electric box. So I'm wondering if I would have accidentally gone to pee on that. Hmm. I would have got electrocuted or something. So did something save me? That's something that uh, a lot of people don't take into consideration when they get pushed and th- pushed when they're doing things with paranormal. They uh, assume that it, you know, is something aggressive, but they don't take into consideration quite often, like what could possibly be around them that they may be helping them from. Because I feel like most people just assume that 
a spirit equals something bad or they're trying to have some kind of bad intentions, but you know, there's, there's probably just as many that have positive intentions and they just have a complete misunderstanding on what's going on with them. And, uh, you know, they have no dark intentions. They're just trapped and lost within in between planes. However, however you want to word it or call it. Yeah, totally. But, um, I guess kind of bouncing back, of course, um, because you do have a lot of awesome Canadian stories. Um, do you have some more awesome historic locations that you would like to share as far as Canada goes? Let's jump into a haunted objects. Ooh, um, that's one I didn't even think about covering. Yes, I would love to do haunted objects. <laughs> I collect haunted objects. Um, I have a whole shelf full of them right beside me. Um, there's a place in Quinell, British Columbia. It's uh, the Quinell Museum. There's a doll there. Her name is Mandy. And Mandy, Mandy has a lot of stories. Mandy was on the Montel Williams show. She was flown out there because she's haunted. And um, I'll send you the Mandy video and tell me what you think. Um, she was said to be a death doll from the old days. She was said to be found in an abandoned house. She was said to be dropped off by family members of a family member because this doll was bad news. So there's a lot of little stories on her. It's the and the kind of like the baby doll with like the broken face. That's her. Cool. I just wanted to, for anybody that was looking it up, just to verify so they know they're looking at the right thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and on a side note of that, if you go to our YouTube channel, I, we have a whole, this is probably where we got the coolest evidence I've ever captured on video um, was with Mandy, the haunted doll. Um, and it was evidence we didn't even realize until we were playing back on our way home. Um, anyhow, 2015 was the first time I investigated her. And this was a time where I wasn't, this was, I don't think a haunted object could hurt me or affect me. That was my mentality back then. Guilty. We all learn, we all grow (laughs) (laughs) and, um, I'll be accountable. Anyhow, um, I see our investigator at the time he's staring at the doll, but he's like, he's way out there. He's, he's gone. He's just staring. And a couple of investigators are like, hey, man, wake up. You good? So we kept snapping around his ears. He wouldn't lose contact, eye contact on this doll. Heavy trance. Yeah, absolutely was. And then he came to. He was pale. He was sweating. And he's like, I got to go outside. And then he puked up dinner in the parking lot. And he's like, I don't know what just happened. He was freaking out because that, that was a big deal. And then in my mind, I'm like, oh, God, that's that's some serious stuff that happened. And um, fast forward to setting our gear up, getting ready. And I keep looking at the doll, the corner of my eye. And then before we investigate, I'm like, hey, guys, I got to go outside. I'm just going to grab a drink and I'll be back in. I go out to my vehicle. That's the last thing I remember was leaving the museum door. And then all of a sudden, solitary, dark solitary man, he's on this investigation too, Derek. Um, I feel him shaking me, waking me up. I had guests tranced out too, walking towards the highway, towards traffic. Like you were continuously so, like walking towards it? Yeah, like I was zoned out. I don't remember doing that. And that's something I wouldn't do. Um and he, and then I, I kind of freaked out. I'm like, this, this doll is serious business. 
uh, our other investigator just tranced out. Now I clearly just tranced out too, walking towards the highway. And that was one of the scariest things I ever experienced. And that was a good lesson to respect the artifacts. When it comes to uh, like haunted items, do you feel like it almost makes them like stronger if they had the ability to attach themselves to an item? Um, assumably, possibly, because then it can travel, so they're not just attached to one specific location. Um, also, just another theory, maybe it makes it so that they can be more physical, because more often than not, it seems like if something's attached to an item or even like a doll specifically, they seem to be more more physical with people than a typical like building haunting. Perhaps. Um that that's one thing I'm actually currently researching with some haunted dolls. Um of of, of why do they attach to the doll? Um but if you fast the same doll, so it may be partly just energy, too, because, um, you know, inherently people are scared of dolls because of, you know, Uncanny Valley, anything that looks similar to, like, a human. So maybe it's also an antenna for energy for them because people are instantly, naturally just scared of the doll, even if it's not doing anything. So they're just sucking in that energy just from people looking at the doll and being freaked out by it. Absolutely. Or is it like a placebo effect in a way? You know, when you walk by a creepy house, you're like, oh, God, that place must have 10 ghosts and it has to. Mm-hmm. Um, you walk by a creepy doll with one eye, you automatically think it's haunted or like a, a, a shattered face or, or messy, you, you know, like an old, an old creepy looking doll. I mean, even vice um, versa, that may be the reason why they attach themselves to it in the first place is because if it's already something that people are freaked out by before it has any type of connection to it, it might be one of those things where you have like 10 spirits going, Ooh, ooh, ooh I want to pick that one because people are already freaked out of it. <laughs> yeah. The, the energy breeds reads a lot of things um or it's also could be partly manifesting too that uh you know if you're yeah. scared enough of a doll maybe you create something that's attached to that doll and it may not be like a typical spirit it may be like a like a manifested spirit because of you putting your intention into that item mm-hmm. that's true and then you fast forward to 2021 um we go investigate so one of the other rumors was mandy was uh, a german death doll and we don't know. There's no proof of that. Just folklore, word on the street with some people. And um, so we have Sandra. She's doing her, her German talk again. And uh, she just starts her session in German. And something flicks her hair. So obvious. Like when you play the video back. Like we, we did not see it. I didn't see it when I was filming because I was filming on one camera while holding her phone because she was doing it like she was going to make her own little German TikTok, just Mm -hmm. purely in. And so I think I was watching the other camera, just going back and forth. And so I I, I didn't see the flick. But when when we left the invest, that was the only thing that happened was her hair getting flicked. Nothing else. No spikes in in our gear, no EVPs. But when, when we're leaving, she's go, she's watching her video, and she's like, oh, my God. And you literally see it looks like somebody goes to the side of your hair and flicks it because she has long hair. Mm-hmm. So at this time, um, like, was this doll, like, encased? Um, yes. 
So when it comes to something being like encased, just from your experience, and again, this may be one of those answers that's up in the air, but you know, just matter of opinion. Um, when you trap something into a, into like a spot, do you think that it's more so that it's uh like it can't expand like expand from that item like to a certain distance? So that's kind of like where the entrapment comes in. So say like theoretically, uh, you have an item in your house that's a haunted item and you have it trapped. Um, it's able to still do the things that it does within like a small vicinity, but then it but it being trapped, it isn't able to expand, but it can still do things. It's just that it more so just makes the area of where it can do things like a smaller area. I think so. Because... I know there's reports of when when Mandy first what got into the museum, I could hear little footsteps pattering around. Um, when Mandy, so they they left. It's a museum, so they archive everything, right? Because she's an artifact. She's mm-hmm. she's an older doll, and they left her in the archive room where they're taking photos of, overnight. And then the next morning, they get there and it looked like somebody overturned the whole studio. So. Ever since, and the, the the case has been opened, like it's locked, lock and key. But the curator's gone there before, and the case has been opened. And she's the last one to leave, first one to be there and experience that. So maybe Mandy can open it. Maybe there was an error closing it. Who knows? But I I think she's mobile in there. I guess two questions pertaining to this. Um. One would be, like, how do you protect the items that you collect that you have in your house? And then the second part of the question would be, when it comes to these, um, I guess you could say haunted museums, or just even museums in general that harbor haunted items, um, do you think that the people that run them take it seriously to the aspect of, like, all right, this thing is haunted, it needs to be within this area, or do you think it's more like a oh, this is a cool haunted museum, but they don't fully believe in it, so they'll just get it out of the case, do whatever. So, like, they put it back in the case and they lock it at night, but it's not really, like, protected, you know, so that's where it can get up. It can still do all the things it can normally actively do because they're not, like, recreating that barrier every time they take it out and put it back in. You know what I mean? Like, they're not taking it, like, as seriously as they may, maybe should as far as, like, protecting the item. Um. One of my good friends in Seattle, Ross Allison, the guy I was talking about earlier at St. Ignatius, um, he has, it's called Spooked in Seattle, Seattle's Haunted Death Museum. And he collects haunted objects from all over the world. And he is so respectful. And he holds on, so people will send him stuff because they're so petrified. It, And he... He puts them on display, but in a respectful way for education. So people will come in his museum. He'll talk about the item. He'll tell the story. He'll tell these items stories. And it's a safe, controlled environment where he displays them. And a lot of my items that I've acquired, I I will be bringing down to Ross next time I'm in Seattle. So he takes, like, I take it seriously. Everything I have that, like, I'm looking at now. Um, it's taken seriously. It's kind of my, you can't leave this corner. What do you, uh, do exactly to like, uh, like protect it? Um, do you, do you do like the salt ring? Uh, do you do like, uh, I don't know, like different, like hex cards possibly like, like what, what, what's kind of like your process for keeping it to a specific location or a specific spot? Intent. 
um, boundaries of my place. I, I feel boundaries are a big thing. Um, I have black onyx, like right here. And I, have, I, I, I like crystals, so I have them around there. I also have um, friends that have blessed this area and kind of put a shield up. And the rule is you're allowed to be here if you don't bother me in a mean sort of way. I just want to study them, investigate them. And most of these will probably end up at Ross's Museum for Preservation and Educational Purposes. Covering all the bases then. You got the uh, the metaphysical protection and then you have like the physical protection with like uh the stones yeah. and all that kind of stuff so that's it's a good way of doing it Go, cover all bases don't just do one you know it's better to have too much protection yeah. than not enough protection <laughs> yeah and and like i i like i said i earlier i i i often sage my place i often palo santo i it's all about intent intentions so uh just a little sidebar question um Theoretically, if somebody had an item in their house that they felt was uh, possibly haunted, um, what do you think is a precaution they could do to do themselves to kind of like keep it at bay until they can kind of figure out more about the item? Um, boundaries. It's like a lot of investigations we go on, people want to know that their place is haunted, but they don't want anything done. Okay. It is you and Edna. We knew it all these years. Just don't bother us. You can be here. Just don't keep us awake. So that's setting your intention boundaries. I think the same works for, for items. Um, do you think that the, the salt kinda, ring idea kind of works? Um, if somebody, like, say they wanted yep. to do something a little bit more physical to, you know, just, just even if it's like a placebo effect, sometimes people just like having something that they can see physically to, that they feel is protecting the item. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think whatever belief they believe in, it be it be it salt, uh, religious things, crystals, sage, anything like that. I, I think that that holds credence on on your intent. Whatever makes you feel safe. And then I guess uh, a little offspin question off of that one too. Um, say somebody was a, uh, I don't know. They're they're, they're trying to either explore a haunted location or they feel that their house itself may be haunted. Um, just from your experience, what do you think is the best way that people can, I guess, protect themselves um, going into a location or being at a location? Um, like if I own a house and I'm like, well, for protection to protect yourself, again, it's your intent and it's your belief values. If you're religious, wear your religious stuff if you're into crystals taking your protection crystals um i think that that's the best way to protect yourself when you go into locations it's all on you on how you feel safe and what protects you um and i guess when it comes to the crystals too um what, what's like your recommended uh crystals i guess be another one. i always carry black onyx um for protection i think in my opinion it's the strongest one i'll carry a clear quartz with it to kind of recharge it all the time. And I'll also carry a rose quartz for love and good intent and respect and fire agate to amplify feelings. 
And uh, I guess going back to some of your haunted items, uh, what do you think are some of the most like interesting haunted items that you may have in your possession? And uh, I guess what is maybe some of your knowledge and backstory that you have of those items? Ooh, what do we got here? We got, Can you, do you have any feelings or anything like that? What was that? Do you have any feelings or like senses? Uh, I'm, I'm a huge empath. Um, I try to follow my tuition more so than anything. Um, trying to branch more into, I guess, an understanding of like where my place is in the, in the spiritual world. But it seems that mine main thing seems to be that I, uh, pick up energies and emotions more so than anything. What do you feel from this photo? I know that we're a, we're a podcast right now, so I'll explain it once you look at it. It's kind of blurry. Feels, uh, I get like a, like a sternness from it, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I don't even know how to, how to quite word it. Just, it feels, it feels very stern and very like, uh, like, like a, like a don't, don't mess with me kind of, kind of a feel to it. Yeah. So the photo I just showed you, it's a Victorian photo. Like it's from the late 1800s. And the finder or the person who gave it to me um, said that it it said this is we're going word on the street here so this is something that i'll investigate or give to other investigators to try and investigate too is it has flirty attaching energy flirty attaching energy yes hmm. i wonder if uh when it comes to like flirty it's definitely uh like people flirt with certain people so i wonder if it's going to be one of those things that it gives different energy to different people. Like if it's somebody that it's interested in versus somebody that it's not interested in. Mm -hmm. So what I do with a lot of, of the objects I have is I, I, I trust a handful of teams where I live. Like there's, there's a bunch and there's a couple that I work with. I will blend out the objects and let them investigate them. So you kind of get a general consensus between the different teams, people, and energies of if they get evidence and, and what kind of evidence they get, which is kind of neat. It's kind of neat to uh, hear what they say. Mm -hmm. This one hasn't been circulated yet because it's one of the newer things I have. But Say it was a little uh, pixelated, but, you know, I don't know how was. you feel about taking pictures of stuff. But, uh, you know, if you didn't mind sending it I'll to send me, it to it's, yeah, a little bit more crisp. I, maybe I can get a little bit better of a feel from it. Because I didn't get the flirtiness from it, but that's because I can only see the image blurry, where maybe yeah. if I see it a little bit more, maybe it'll kind of have like a little bit different of an impression. Then the next one I'll show you, and then I'll, I'll explain it, is this one. This is my newest one. The thing that sticks out the most on that one is the eyes. Like, they feel like they're very, like, delicate eyes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like it's, uh, like, off-putting. Like, it almost seems like a, like, confident... And very, uh, what's confident and very enticing eyes. Yes. Like they seem very gentle. And we don't want to drop that, right? <laughs> um, Otherwise the eyes will turn to angry eyes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That I bought that. So I just showed, um, for your listeners, I just showed a, another Victorian. This one was a larger larger is probably 24 by 36 and it's a port a victorian portrait of, a, of another lady and um remember the house i got choked in mm -hmm. like we're talking about they also run a thrift shop flea market there and um 
not even five minutes after I, or sorry, I arrived at this place and like 10 minutes before I arrived, this lady dropped this photo off saying, I don't want it anymore. It's for donation. Then I walked in and say, Hey, we're here for the radio show thing tonight. And she sold it to me for really cheap and didn't want it in, in the place. So I took it. Did she uh, have any reasoning behind it? Like, did she say that it just made her uncomfortable or anything weird was happening around it? Just didn't want it. (laughs) (laughs) Wanted it gone. Wanted it gone. So give it to me. (laughs) So um, when it comes to, like, the the objects that you've collected, is it uh, primarily, like, pictures? Um, Because at least when it comes to pictures, it seems like, you know, there's a lot of folklore behind something being trapped within a photo. Um. Assumably, when it comes to uh, the paranormal, because you even have that electronic kind of, I guess back in the day, not so much the electronic factor, but like in present day, you have more of the electronic factor to it. But um, does it seem like when it comes to haunted items, primarily what you seem to interact with the most is like pictures because it almost like encaptures it? I have pictures. I have mirrors. I have dolls. I have coasters. Coasters. That's a new one. I know, right? Um trying to think i have a scrying mirror i have a ouija board that is said to be extremely haunted from 1953 is that uh what you would say is probably the most item a haunted item that you have in your possession yeah i don't touch that much (laughs) (laughs) what's uh what's the backstory to that item then i'm definitely curious um it was bought at a flea market a guy bought it and he said when it was in his house it gave him really bad feelings bad energy um when I brought it home, I, I have a, a trusted psychic friend that I always send photos to of my new, newly discovered collect, collectibles. And he's like, dude, why? Out of all your items, why that? I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and um, actually, on my, on my Instagram, I have a photo of the day I brought the Ouija board home. My cat wouldn't leave the top of... Uh, I have a space above my cupboards in my kitchen and she just stayed up there staring down. So when it comes to uh, like your haunted items, like what's, what's like your process to it? Do you just try to understand what it is like here and now, or do you try to kind of dig into where the item could have possibly came from? Like what, what's kind of like your process? If somebody says they have a haunted item um, and they don't want it, I'm, I'm going to take it. But it's not to hoard haunted items and say, hey, come to my haunted museum and in my house. It's, it's I want to know why. I want to, we're paranormal researchers. So I want to research why is it haunted? How is it haunted? Where did it come from? Who haunts it? And what can I do to ensure that it's safe? So well, there's a lot, there's a lot of, a lot of why in there. And that's basically, I'm trying to figure out why things attach. And kind of a project I've been working on for a while is the placebo effect, too, of just because it's old and creepy, is it haunted? So I was given a a, a lady from Idaho, not Idaho, Iowa, sent me two haunted dolls, but she said one of them was haunted. And so I say two haunted dolls. Sorry. One of the two dolls were haunted. And gave her kind of bad feelings. And I'm like, okay. I opened the box. And I'm like, you're the haunted one. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, so 
since I and, and the funny part about this is I didn't open that box for about two and a half months from it being in my house. I just didn't want to open it. <laughs> and um, what 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 I've done now is, like I said earlier, is I have a select teams that I work with, studying them, researching them. And they've all picked up on which one's haunted and which one's not. So you're kind of getting like a a baseline. So one actually is allegedly haunted as per five other teams that have looked at it. And and, and the unique part is, is I get all these people to sign something like a non-disclosure that it's confident, like confidentiality that you're don't talk about what to other teams, what we're doing, because I'm really trying to get a baseline here. And I've been getting a lot of cool results doing this. So I'm going to be sending more stuff out to these people to to research. And again, why are they haunted? And the EVPs pulled out. I don't have the dolls here because they're out in circulation. Um, we're pretty unsettling. <laughs> That's one of those things, too, when you get a chance. I would definitely love to get a picture of it because I'm, I'm curious what they look like. <laughs> For sure. But, so I guess uh, we're starting to get up onto the uh, the two-hour point. And uh, I would definitely like to have you back on the show. And, you know, we could probably go on for a, a long time. But for the listener's sake, cut it into two parts so that we can do two episodes because it's always more fun to do it that way. So sure. um, kind of leading towards the end of the show, I always like to leave on words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So pertaining to possibly paranormal investigating or just in general, just some, maybe some possible words you live by. Uh, what are some words of wisdom that you would like to bestow on the listeners? One question I get from people is, how do you become a paranormal investigator and what do they, what do you need um, to become a, what I tell people is you need your gut, like your feelings, your senses, a good audio recorder could be your iPhone, could be a zoom recorder, something that just rolls audio for you and a camera. You don't need all the fancy gadgets cause they're ridiculously expensive. Um, Sample the teams in your area. Don't go out. Well, you're the free agent. Find the team that suits you best. Um, sample all the different teams. See what their intent is. See the respect levels. And see what they're actually trying to accomplish. Are they trying to just go out and get a scare? Or are they trying to get resolution and help people and further our field? So choose wisely and the type of path you want to go on with that. That's my words of wisdom. Um, cause there's a lot of really good teams out there that, that need great new investigators with, with a fresh idea and fresh, fresh things to bring to the teams. And that's kind of my words of wisdom. If you're going to investigate, sample the teams, keep it simple with your gear and learn that way. Say especially- stay away from phone apps. There, I said it. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, especially if you want uh, the field to be taken seriously, um, avoid the entertainment aspect and, you know, bring in the actual solid evidence so that just like most things, one day it can go from a fringe topic to an actual science. And the only way that we're going to ever get to that point is if we take out the entertainment wow factor that kind of dilutes everything and bring it into the more serious investigating, which is what I feel that it deserves to be. I agree. And that's why I love having investigators such as yourself on the show. I like the serious investigators. <laughs> Thank you. Next time we could talk the old hag. I got some old hag stories. Ooh, yes, definitely. I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Leaving me and the listeners on a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, for anybody that has enjoyed this conversation and they want to dig into all the awesome stuff that you do, uh, where can they come and find you at? And also, you made reference to the fact that you do a podcast. Uh, Make sure you drop that one in there, too. Sounds good. Uh, uh, You can get us on Instagram, The Paranormal Road Trippers. Facebook, The Paranormal Road Trippers. YouTube, The Paranormal Road Trippers. I do Ghosts of the Great Night, Ghosts of the Great White North podcast every third Wednesday of the month. And I do Mystic Moon Cafe every Wednesday. And of course, I will add all of that into the description if anybody wants to come and find it. And uh, I really appreciate you making the time to come on today, man. This has been a really, really fun conversation, and I'm really looking forward to the next one. Awesome. Me too. Thank you for having me. If anyone would like to be a guest on the show, uh, they're interested in sponsoring the show, there's a topic that they want discussed on the show or a guest that they really want to see on the show, or if you feel there's anything you can contribute to the show whatsoever, even if it's just a conversation with me, which I would love to have with you, of course, um, you guys can shoot me an email. Or, you know, message me on social media. That's also a very viable option. Um, primarily active on Instagram. So that would be the main one to go to. Um, also, if you wanted to email the show, you can do that off of the uh, link tree because there is a contact submission form up at the top. But uh, if you want the email directly, it's increase of our reality podcast at outlook.com. And if you wanted to do it through the link tree, that would be L I N K T R period E E slash increase of our reality podcast. And if you're checking out the one for Open Minds Media, that one would be L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash open underscore minds underscore media. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the show, and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.